Hey everybody, it's former Miss Nevada State 2019 Katie Williams, and you're listening to Life After the Crown with Tim Teal. Hey everybody, my name is Tim Tialdo, and welcome to Season 2 of the Life After the Crown podcast. Now, if you haven't had a chance to listen to any of the previous episodes, I do encourage you to go back and listen, because there are many valuable interviews that you will definitely gain some wisdom from. Now, for those of you who are just tuning in for the first time, welcome and thanks for checking us out. Each episode of Life After the Crown, I interview former pageant contestants, title holders, and women of influence who share advice and stories on how to help you succeed in the world of pageants, but more importantly, how you can flourish in the professional world once your pageant journey comes to an end. As always, I appreciate you taking the time to download this podcast. I do value your time, and I'm glad you're here listening. So let's get started. My guest today is a combat veteran that was raised in Southern Illinois. She was awarded the title of Ms. Nevada State 2019 last April. She was set to compete in the Ms. America pageant this past August, but she was disqualified five days before the event for her political beliefs being posted on her personal social media pages after having both vocal and written encouragement from the director. She is married and is the mother of one and currently resides in Las Vegas, Nevada. Katie Williams, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Hi, Tim. Thanks for having me. Well, I, I've been excited to have you on. I, I certainly, I think, along with a, a lot of the rest of the country, saw your story unfold on national media. I know you were on Fox and Friends just a couple of days after it happened. And uh, there's a lot to unpack here because I did a ton of research last night and looked up all the different articles and what's being said on both sides. And uh, I guess, you know, for everybody listening, just kind of walk us through the scenario that happened to you from your standpoint, and then we'll kind of jump into all the, the details of it. Yeah, for sure. So, and like you said, in April, I was awarded the, uh, the state title. Before that, I had actually talked to the director multiple times. And it seemed like we kind of, you know, gained a really good friendship with each other. And we talked a lot about politics and we talked about life and, and everything else and, and family, of course. And and so, yeah, I was uh, rolling right along. So I did a couple of political events. I mean, I went to the political fundraisers with my crown and staff and she had approved every single one and I would post pictures on them and she never had a problem with them. And then I went and posted a, you know, a Trump 2020 uh, selfie. You know, I was wearing a hat and she kind of was like, hey, you can't do that. I posted it on my personal page, of course. And she said, you know, make sure that your pageant page and your personal page doesn't conflict with each other. So when I had my pageant page and I still have it actually it's out there still, um, you know, I only post pageant photos on there. So if I was in my crown or my sash or I was in an event, um, representing the the pageant itself, you know, I would post on there. I didn't even friend my personal friends on my pageant page because I just didn't want the you know the confusion. Mm-hmm. And and so I, I just continued to post what I wanted on my personal page. Um, it kind of got to a point where the coordinator uh, she would get me on the phone and she would say, "Hey, I really like what you're doing, um, you know, and I appreciate you, and I you know I I, I side with you on most of these issues." And so then as soon as we get off the phone, she would kind of like berate me in an email. <laughs> and so, so I actually got to a point with her where I was just telling her like, hey, I want no further like voice contact with you. Like I would just like everything in written contact, email, text message, uh, private messaging, whichever way we can, only because, you know, you know, being former military, it's like, you know, if it didn't happen in writing, it didn't happen at all. And uh, so I just wanted to protect myself from that. Uh, I probably ignored her calls one day, probably like 15 times. 
And then, you know, and then after that, she was just like, you know what, we're like, we just can't have you here. Uh, it's clear that you're not living up to the standard that we have. Um, and she disqualified me like four days before the actual event. So um, it was a big deal. And she actually asked me to to take down all of my content for my personal page, of course, which I refused because it's my personal page and I didn't have any political stuff on my pageant page. So, uh, I mean, that's basically the gist of it. <laughs> and after that, I made a video and it went viral and... <laughs> had all kinds of reporters and investigators and stuff like that. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah. Well, I think it was a big deal because, you know, we're in this, uh, what we'll call the cancel culture, you know, where if, if people don't believe like <laughs> yes. you believe, they just want to write you off and disqualify you and say, get the hell out. And, you know, yeah. look, I'm, all, I'm a big believer in both sides of the story. I do like to hear both. So I'm going to read you what they put on their website. We can talk about it because I'm sure that you have your own side of it. And I certainly want to hear that. Uh, But on the Miss Nevada website, uh, they published an article that reads, quote, Katie Williams falsely claims she was a victim of censorship and was stripped of her Miss Nevada State 2019 crown for her conservative beliefs. In reality, Ms. Williams blatantly lied on multiple conservative conservative media outlets at political events and in interviews. In the contract, she agreed not to post anything political on social media profiles or pages related to the pageant. When she refused to follow the rules after multiple warnings, she became ineligible to compete. Her aggressive attack on the Ms. America pageant to use them as her stepping stone into a political career has left the not-for-profit, non-political female empowerment organization picking up the pieces in Katie's wake. It clearly states the Ms. America pageant is a no-politics pageant, and all contestants are required to sign an initial disagreement stating their willingness to comply. Any contestant violating this agreement will become ineligible to compete. It is in the rules and regulations as posted on the pageant website and therefore available to read before applying to the pageant. So I want to clarify basically what you understood when you signed the contract, that you could have a personal page, whether that's Facebook, Instagram, whatever, and then you had to have a separate pageant page. And if you had any political beliefs that you were going to post, you had to post them on the personal page. Is that my understanding? Correct. Yes, correct. And that's actually what I did, too. So when she, her, her issue is that when I posted my personal beliefs on my personal page, that was fine. But then the moment I would post a, a selfie with my crown or a selfie uh, with, a, with a figure on my personal page, then it was like I was cross-referencing them. And that was never in the contract. And so that's where they kind of like, they're like, hey, like, you can't do that because it's, you know, because you're crossing those lines. And I'm like, well, it's my personal page. And I don't have any of my pageant followers on my personal page and vice versa. And so like, that's where my argument was there with that. And when they say that they're a not-for-profit, well, that's a blatant lie because I paid, you know, thousands of dollars to, you know, to be in this pageant. I had to pay for, you know, hotel rooms and I actually had to pay for them to send me out my crown and my sash and everything else like that. So um, they are a for-profit pageant. I think that's one of the questions I had asked her. It's on their website as well, where they say that, you know, what's the difference between the Miss America and the Ms. America? You know, the Miss America is a 501c3, where it is a non-for-profit scholarship fund, and then the Ms. America is a for-profit uh, pageant. Well, here's where it got really interesting, because this kind of pulled out the old journalist in me. So I went and found all these different articles in which um, these media outlets had interviewed uh, people from the pageant to talk about, you know, the situation. So what we just read, in the contract, you agreed not to post anything political on any social media pages or profiles related to the pageant. Okay, so that's the pageant pages. Then I read an ABC, or a, I'm sorry, an NBC News article 
that said CEO of Ms. America Susan Jeske said, quote, if you're putting pageant stuff on your personal page, that's the pageant page. You're combining it. So that doesn't make sense in itself. That's an argument. And then Heavy.com had another one in which they interviewed officials at Ms. America that says contestants may post political opinions and commentary, but only on their personal Facebook page. So right there, you've got three different (laughs) articles that are all in conflict with each other on what they said to you and in your contract versus what they're saying publicly. And they're actually conflicting themselves, which makes them look terrible. So. If, if you were able to say, OK, so let's say it's a selfie that's Trump 2020 hat and you post it on your personal page, you were under the understanding that I'm allowed to do that. There's nothing wrong with that. Correct. And if you get uh, a little more opinionated on subjects like, uh, I don't know if it's gay marriage or patriotism or uh, the economy, I, I know you have a bunch of different stuff on there. Did you feel like that was ever crossing the line? No, see, and that's what's so crazy about it. So I, I believe June is Pride Month, right? I, I mean, I could be wrong, June or July, one of those two. Uh, so every single pageant contestant actually posted something for Pride Month. You know, personally to me, that is actually pretty political, you know, because, it, you know, there's all these different legislations out there and, you know, all this other stuff. Um, and nothing was ever said. So I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like, you know, maybe this is like one of those things that I can do. Well, there were other people that would, um, you know, post for the human rights campaign and the pro-choice campaign. And to me, those are political stances, regardless of where you stand on the aisle. Right. Um, and I actually screenshotted these and I sent them to the, the CEO, Susan Jeske. And I said, Hey, you know, like, why are these okay? But like when I post, I love America, I'm pro my president, uh, things like that. Those are not okay. And she says, I don't think you understand what political means. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, all I do is politics. Of course I understand what political means, you know? Um, and so that, yeah, it, it was kind of, it was kind of funny to me how much their stories would change and their statement on the website, I actually have screenshots of these different statements because their statement changes. It seems like every three months, you know? <laughs> and yeah. so it's kind of funny to me. And I think it's just, they, they look and see what I've been doing and then they try to like, you know, I guess come after me in a, in a backhanded kind of way. You know, they even called my work and tried to get me fired for my work. They, um, I'm now a Turning Point USA ambassador. They called Turning Point USA and tried to get me fired from there. Um, different podcasts that I've been on, they will email the podcasters after they find I've been on there and they'll send their own personal statement. I'll so be looking like, forward to that. Will not. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you probably will get it. Honestly, I did a podcast for um, someone in Chicago, based in Chicago, and he called me like maybe just two days after it aired. And he's like, hey, I just want to let you know, like, you know, I'm on your side, but I just got this email from the pageant. So, and he forwarded me. And so I don't think they realize that most people are, are on my, there are a lot of people that are against me for sure. I mean, obviously people are going to have different things and opinions and, and all that. But yeah, it just kind of depends. And I think it's funny that uh, they just kind of won't let me go. <laughs> so. Well, you fall into a category right now in pageantry that is uh, something that people don't want to publicly discuss because they're scared. Uh, but is behind the scenes, you know, in private conversations, a huge topic of debate, um, which is in the past, I would say, four to five years, you have seen a significant shift in how the pageant world has kind of followed the political world of kind of shutting people up or pushing, you know, activist type causes upon them in which if you don't talk like they do, uh, they try to either shut you up or they just you, you don't place, you don't do well. You're just not going to be part of the, you know, the winner's circle, so to speak. 
Um, you know, one of them obviously was Cara Mund with Miss America, you know, which, which she dealt with with uh, Gretchen and Regina. Uh, there was the Miss Washington uh, here just a, a month and a half ago here that competed at Miss America that was silenced about her platform that they didn't feel it was appropriate. And then, of course, your situation, um, which have all gone viral, which have all been huge topics of debate in which I have felt like you girls don't have a voice. And so I've, I look upon it, you know, whether no matter what side of the aisle you're on, I believe you should have a voice and be able to talk about your side of things and be able to say, hey, um, you know, in this case, I realize you're a big time conservative and I've had people on who are big time liberals and there's nothing wrong with that. But right. I, I, exactly. I do, you know, I think somebody asked you a question in an interview I read last night, which I thought was really interesting. And it said, uh, why do you think the pageant, quote, elites don't support President Trump? Do you, have any, do you have a thoughts on that? So I actually, I feel like I answered this question on Fox News, actually. Um, I think President Trump seems like a controversial figure, but he's not really. I think when people can kind of strip away the media hype and they can strip away what they've seen, you know, he is just an American, just like any other person that lives here. Um, and he has his own thoughts and opinions. And sometimes I think he trolls the media on purpose, obviously, just to see the kind of responses that he gets. And of course, that kind of hypes it up a little bit more, but he's really no different than any other politician. And a lot of people say, well, there, you know, we've never had politics like this before. We've never had it um, where they, you know, they talk so much crap to each other and they're just so rude and disrespectful. And I think if people were to do a little bit of research on, you know, past presidents or past members of Congress or Senate, you know, they would actually realize that it's never really changed. You know, we may have just changed the dynamics a little bit and changed the verbiage, but for the most part, people are just who they are. And, you know, I think that they've always seen this kind of, you know, down and dirty politics and politics. I think most people don't realize is a dog fight. You know, it is like the, it's the most fun train to watch, I think. So. Yeah. I mean, I've had a lot of friends who are, you know, uh, I would, I would call them pretty influential who considered running into politics or running for politics, I should say. And they decided not to because it's a dog eat dog world and they didn't want to sacrifice, you know, their families and their personal life and everything that goes along with it by getting, you know, involved in the viper pit of Congress or Senate. And so they decided right. not to. So, yeah, I totally understand that. Now, one of the things that happened to you that is uh, exactly a uh, symptom of the cancel culture is you received a cease and desist from the Ms. America pageant. I, I believe a couple of the other <laughs> girls did as well. It, and this is, when again, again, this is that effort to shut you up when they don't like what you have. So how, how did you handle that when you got the cease and desist? I made another video about it just telling them that I wasn't going to comply with it. You know, I was like, no. And did they follow <laughs> Like, up? I'm already out of the pageant. No, they didn't actually. And I, I think that they're probably trying to. Um, you know, I think they're just kind of listening to everything I do. And then I guess the moment I make a mistake or the moment I say something that's not true, uh, you know, they're just going to jump on it. But of course, everything I say, I can back up with like emails and text messages and evidence and stuff like that. So um, I think it is funny when they constantly send me, you know, these notices, like if you keep slandering us and we're going to sue you, basically, I'm like, okay, but you have to prove that I actually slandered you. <laughs> and they can't. And that's, that's the basically, basically the gist of it. So when I did get the cease and desist, I think I just laughed about it for about 10 minutes. And then I just made a video and said, yeah, I'm not going to comply. Have fun. <laughs> so. So when you made the first video, the one that said, hey, I've been uh, disqualified from the pageant for these reasons, how long did it take for the media to get in touch with you? 
Oh, it was like a day. <laughs> it was so crazy. <laughs> um, and, I, and I have some friends that are, uh, you know, big social media influencers, and they saw this. And of course, you know, a couple shares and retweets later, um, and it just went viral. And you don't, you don't expect an eight-minute video to go viral because that's just like, you know, we don't have the attention span anymore. <laughs> but, you know, it, and it did. And I think it was just because of the message was there. You know, like being in the military and then doing pageants, I felt like I was, I guess, two sides of a coin. So I could actually express both sides. But of course, when I'm you know, not able to express that that part of me. Uh, it was it was kind of heartbreaking. So I just said, you know what, I'm just going to be me, and and you guys can just deal with it because I mean, the, at the end of the day, it's a free country, and I can pretty much do what I want given you know within the law, obviously. Well, I I do want to ask this. So the the interview that obviously kind of made this thing go viral was the uh, the appearance on Fox and Friends. I believe you and Ainsley Earhart talked for a few minutes. Um, and you know, when we're talking about major major media outlets, it, you know the uh, the stereotype out there is that it's Fox versus everybody or everybody versus Fox. It's kind of that mentality of, you know, <laughs> uh, the conservatives versus the mainstream media. I'm curious to know, did any other media outlets reach out to you in, in the mainstream media? You know, the CNNs, the MSNBCs, NBC, CBS, et cetera. Yeah. So actually a couple, you know, a couple stories did go out, but they were basing it off of my video. Stuff. So like so the they didn't story you. and that's what, not necessarily. Uh, but NBC did reach out to me. They actually called me, and I, I had to get a media manager for the first like seventy two hours. I couldn't really handle all of the calls, so I, I called a good friend of mine who does this kind of stuff, and he just helped me out. So we like had all these prepared statements, and NBC calls me, and they you know they're like, hey, you know, and I'm not going to say who who the reporter was, <laughs> and so he, you know he asked me a bunch of questions, and I said, hey, you know, refer back to my media manager. He's like, okay, and he just kind of hung up. And then, like, maybe 20 minutes later, that story was running, saying that I refused to comment. I was like, well, that's not true. <laughs> but, you know, so it's just, it kind of, it is kind of funny that you see there is clearly a bias when it comes to Fox and, like, MSNBC or CNN or anything like that. You can see the bias in different stories. And like you said, the journalist, the journalist in you, uh, you know, went into researching I'm sure a lot of the stories look the same, and then there were some that actually had some actual detail to it. So um, I always thought it was really funny. And so that's why I think I try to take everything with a grain of salt when I see anything about conservatives or liberals or anything like that, because I also know how the media can spin it and make you sound in an interview as opposed to how the truth actually is. Well, when you decided to go on national television and talk about this and, you know, do an interview, were you scared to share, um, I guess, your conservative beliefs and kind of how you felt on things, considering that, you know, there is this attack culture online that's going to come after you for saying or following or supporting people that not, not, not maybe aren't necessarily their view? I wouldn't say I was scared. I would say that there was probably, I guess, like an anxious feeling in me only because you know, I mean, I'm 29, I'll be 30 in a month. And I think I've just, I've just seen my whole adult life so far where people get attacked for these smallest things. I mean, you look at the Nicholas Sandman case where this kid was actually just sitting on the stairs, standing there doing nothing. And he was just attacked and berated. And, and the media spun it to the point where it looked like he was the attack, the aggressor in that whole situation. And I, I get so tired of seeing things like that. So that when this actually happened to me, I was just like, no, like, I'm, I'm just going to say it. I don't care anymore. You know, I'm, I'm tired of people saying that you can't say that because it's not polite. I'm like, well, you know what? I don't care anymore. I don't care if it's not polite. I don't care if you don't like it. I'm going to state my opinion. I'm not going to be outwardly rude. You know, as a Christian, it's not like I just say things to be rude to people. Um, but I'm just, I'm not going to 
be silenced and I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, well, I guess I'll just sit in the corner and keep my mouth shut and be the pretty girl. And I'll just be like, you know, whatever. I don't have foster opinions. And I don't, I just don't think that we should live like that anymore. And I think it's really sad that people can't have good conversations. You know, in fact, I was actually on a radio station uh, last week and it was based in California. They're more liberal, independent media source. And, you know, I, I was so happy that they had me on and we had a really good conversation. And even in the middle of the podcast, you know, they're like, we don't really even agree with you on most of your stuff, but we like the fact that you're willing to have conversations. So I think that's, I think that's what people need to have or the conversation. So when you finally did come out, talked about all this, did the interviews, you know, kind of took the national media tour, so to speak. Uh, how was the fallout? Did you, did you experience a lot of, of, of hate, of kickback? Um, I mean, some of my family wasn't so happy about it. <laughs> um, so I, I did, I did send them, I just said, you know, like if any news sources kind of come out to you guys, just, you know, send them back my way. Just don't comment or anything like that. Um, I, I don't talk a lot about my husband or my, or my daughter just because, you know, for fear of them being attacked as well. And so I just do try to stay uh, out there on my own. I don't try to drag people into my this tornado of media. But I don't think I got as much hate as I was expecting. I was expecting a little bit more than what I thought, but I got overwhelming support from people. And I think that I thought that itself was a message that, hey, the majority of people think like this and the majority of people are tired of the media spinning everything. Now, you started a website after this happened called katiewilliamsnv.com. Um, I believe it's to fight against <laughs> censorship. Um, talk about it and kind of what you're right. trying to accomplish with it. Well, so with that, it was more so just to update people. It was a way for media outlets to get a hold of me. You know, there is, obviously, I think there was a big rumor that started, everyone said that, you know, I was trying to run for office or things like that. With my current job, I can't run for office right now. And I don't want to. Um, I would like to eventually. But when I get closer to my, my retirement age, that's when I want to run for office. So I thought it was kind of funny when that rumor started. I was like, oh, okay, well, whatever. <laughs> so I think if I, <laughs> you know, I just kind of let it go, you know, and you know, in the media, there's sometimes like you neither confirm nor deny, you just let people assume and they just do what they will with it. Because um, at the end of the day, I know who I am and I know what I want. So, uh, but yeah, no, I think with the website itself, it was more so just to update people and just keep them informed and keep them, you know, I guess in contact with me in a way. Now, since this happened last year, um, I, I would say you've become somewhat of a social media commentator. Um, you use your social media to share your opinions on current events, conservative issues. I mean, I, I've even seen you've gone after some of the you know prominent politicians out there about their beliefs on things. Um, are you kind of setting the stage for a, you know maybe a potential run eventually? I mean, I would love to. I would love to run. Um, if I ever ran for office, I would probably never run in an election year for president. Like I would never run in a presidential cycle. And I told people this before, I said, if you want to get the media attention, the national media attention that you're going to need to win a primary and a general election, you can't do it in a presidential cycle because obviously 2016, 2020, 2024, all of those will be covered by nothing but media. So all these congressional races and Senate races, I mean, people won't even see them, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and that's not what they want. But uh, I think I would run. I think it is this. It'll be timing for sure. I think uh, with my civilian career and my, you know, my civilian lifestyle, family and, and, and friends and my daughter, I think it'll really just kind of depend. I really would like to wait until she's in 
school. Honestly, she's not in school yet. <laughs> well, now that you have gone through this uh, whole cycle publicly, um, as you look at the pageant world today and see some of the things happening out there and, and, you know, across all the organizations, not just Ms. America, what would you say to the girls out there who feel like, you know, they don't have a voice or they're scared to speak up like you did about their beliefs and, you know, what they support? Well, I think the pageant world can shift its mindset if more people spoke up. I think I think more women actually do feel the way that I feel or at least at least a sense some similarities are there. And I think if they were to speak up a little bit more about it, then eventually the pageant would shift a little bit, I think. And it would just go back, you know, it would go from like crazy liberal side to maybe a little bit more moderate. You know, I I think that regardless of where you fall on the spectrum, I think you should be allowed to voice your opinions and your beliefs. Now, obviously with that being said, you know, maybe judges won't like that and they'll, you know, they may they may vote against you or whatever. And that's just one of those risks you're gonna have to take. But I think if people were at least brave enough to speak up and then the world itself would shift. I think it's the same with the nation as well. I think if more people spoke out, you know, it's even in, uh, you know, media and entertainment, you know, a lot of music artists feel the same way. I mean, I talked to a few that feel the same way and because they don't want to isolate an entire group of their fan base, you know, they just refuse to speak out. But I feel like they would realize that their fan base is actually probably similar to their belief system. You know, I mean, I don't think anyone needs to be extreme right or extreme left. I think if more people can can see both sides, then they, they should be all right. But, you know, I think it just kind of depends. And we see this all the time in culture. You know, I mean, the culture shifts all the time. When you look at the 60s, you look at the 70s, they were more left liberal side and then the 80s came around and ronald reagan became president and you know, they all went back to the conservative side you know it's just shift back and forth well getting to the heart of that in pageantry i took a couple of polls uh i think two weeks ago here one of them was are identity politics ruining pageantry it came out 75 percent yes 25 percent no and then the other question was, should political questions be banned from the top five 69 percent said yes 31 percent said no so it's it's the political involvement and the rhetoric and the narrative that I think scares people. That if I don't, you know, um, as an example, Chelsea Harden's question in the Miss USA 2016 pageant, would you pick Hillary or Trump? I mean, it was like a, a terrifying feeling for her to think, God, if I say <laughs> yeah. this one, it's going to be crazy. And if I say this one, I might, you know, I might have death threats tonight. I have no idea. So how do, exactly. how do, you, how do you tackle that, you know, as a group? Not not the elites, but the actual contestants as the, you know, the customers, so to speak, of the pageant industry. First, I think that one, that question is just terrible. It's a terrible question to ask somebody, right? Because voting is kind of like asking out how much money you make. How about we just don't talk about that? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, if you're not ready for a question like that, like this is terrible to ask someone and put them on the spot, especially on national television. And they're like, uh. Huh. <laughs> How do I go about this? So I feel bad that she even got that question. That's terrible. But to me, it's kind of like, I feel like politics should be involved for sure, because that is one of the key components of our, of our, you know, our society, you know, politics, religion. And I, I don't understand the concept of why we can talk about, you know, being a Christian or being a Catholic or something like that believing in our faith, but yet we can't talk about politics. And, you know, when you're growing up, they always talk about, hey, there's there's a couple of things you don't talk about with new friends, and it's always religion and politics and money. I'm like, but why not? Like, why can't we talk about things like that? You know, and it's not to shame people, and it's not to out them or anything like that, but, like, why can't we just share ideas? Because it used to be that we could do that, and people wouldn't be upset. Uh, people weren't so sensitive, and I hate to say it, but 
a lot of people in my generation, the millennial generation, you know, sometimes we've, we've just been coddled so much by our parents that we can't just deal <laughs> with, with life. And it's, it's not necessarily our fault. Some of it is our parents' fault, but there does come a point where we have to say like, okay, I'm an adult now. So it's now my turn to just make these decisions and make these comments and just deal with the backlash if there is any at all. And I think it's more people realize that there's really not as much backlash. Like, don't get me wrong. There's the crazy viral videos of people attacking other people. And I think that if we started standing up more for ourselves, then, you know, that wouldn't happen as much. And now with that being said, I don't think that we should go out and attack people or stand up for ourselves by like punching them in the face also. I don't think that, but I do think that we should speak out against, against it more than we do. Well, and I, th- I think you can speak to, uh, you know, the, the state of the country and freedom and everything because you have served uh, in combat. You were in the Army National Guard. You went to Afghanistan in 08 and 09. Um, I believe you're in the Nevada National Guard right now. Um, talk about being in that realm compared to everybody, you know, who has not served overseas, has not been in battle, doesn't know what it's like to actually fight for the freedoms that we experience every day. I'd be interested to hear from your perspective. Yeah, I think it's interesting. If you talk to any veteran that's ever deployed overseas, I think they'll tell you the same thing, that we are spoiled here. I mean, Americans are so spoiled and in the best of ways, right? Like I'm not downgrading this at all. Um, You know, but when I was overseas at 18 years old, you know, you go there and you're, you're in a third world country. So you're seeing things that these people deal with every single day, and that's just their life. And, you know, we could not deal with that. I mean, I think if I took a bunch of 18-year-olds now and threw them overseas in Afghanistan and said, hey, you live here now, they, <laughs> they just would not be able to deal with it. Um, you know, the technology is 30 years behind at best. Housing development and everything like that is 40 or 50 years behind. You know, just human rights in general is probably 60 years behind there. And it's just very, very different, but it, man, it opens up your thought process so much to this. And I I think if people were able to travel a little bit more and see this side of it, they would understand how good we have it here. I mean, we live in the freest nation in the world. We have the most freedoms of any other nation in the world. We're one of the richest countries in the world. And I don't think, I think part of that is, it goes back to like child rearing, that when you (laughs) give them everything, they don't know what suffrage is. And when you not when you haven't suffered through anything, you have no resilience. So when you have no resilience and something happens to you, now it's not necessarily your fault, but you're not able to deal with it or adjust from it or or build from that. And I think that's probably one of the the most I guess the biggest downside of being an American is because we've been so spoiled, we don't know how to be resilient in certain aspects. Do you think that if people went through uh, what you've gone through in that regard? that it would reduce the amount of people who uh, fight so hard for these uh, identity politic activist causes about, you know, quite frankly, such petty things sometimes. Yeah, well, yeah I absolutely think that. Um, I remember a few years ago, I think Starbucks came out with a, a Christmas coffee cup and everyone flipped out. And I honestly don't even remember why, but it was a red cup and they didn't put Merry Christmas on it or something like that. Man, this thing went viral. People were insane with this. And they said, well, how dare they like put Merry Christmas on it or didn't put Merry, I don't even remember what the argument was. I think was. it was, I think it was, was Happy like, Holidays. And I think, you know, a lot of yeah, people went yeah. over to, like, I do remember that. Yeah, I mean, that, to me, that's such a petty argument. You know, I was like, where are we in our life where the biggest thing we have to complain about is a coffee cup? <laughs> you know, I mean, like, 
if that's not a true definition of a first world problem, I don't know what is, honestly. <laughs> uh, so. Well, I read that when yeah, you came back know. from serving overseas that you uh, you did battle with postpartum depression and PTSD. I know that's yeah. something very common for soldiers who come back from overseas. Um, and, and I know there's girls out there that listen to the podcast. They, they deal with, you know, I think the regular version of depression, but PTSD is like a whole new level. Can you kind of talk about it and how you've handled it? Yeah, absolutely. So actually, uh, my PTSD actually stems from my childhood. Um, and, you know, my, my husband's trying to force me to write a book on it. And, you know, I, I know, I know he's just like, write a book, write a book. Um, so I actually went through a lot as a child. You know, um, most people don't know this, but I was adopted when I was 13. You know, I had to go through court systems when I was 12. Uh, my father, my biological father actually went to prison. And so that's something that I don't talk about very often, but I'm starting to talk about it more. So I think it helps for other people, but neither here nor there. <laughs> so when I went overseas and I came back at such a young age, there were a lot of things that I just didn't know how to deal with. And I don't think people realize that when you're overseas, um, you don't have, you're like thinking is not required, right? The military tells you what to do. And so you don't really have to do anything other than your job, <laughs> you know, go overseas, do your missions, don't get shot and killed. <laughs> That's basically <laughs> it. <laughs> so when you come home as a 19 year old and you have it and you don't necessarily have your parents right there helping you out, kind of guiding through it because they don't understand. Nobody really understands what you just went through. Um, it's hard to readjust back to civilian life. And I tell people the hardest thing about it is when you come home from overseas and you realize you could have died and the world would have started, it would have kept turning without you. And that is such a hard realization for most soldiers at any age. So it doesn't necessarily matter because time for you stops. So when you leave and you're gone for a year and you come back and there's like new buildings and people are married and there's kids and so there's new kids and like new things going on and everyone's got a new best friend and everyone has a new routine without you and you're like oh my gosh like I could have just not came home and no one would have noticed a difference and that is probably one of the hardest things for veterans and military personnel to get over in general now getting over it obviously takes time so when I did have my daughter you know this was in 2016 so or I had her at the end of 2015 so in 2016 I actually battled postpartum depression really badly and I didn't realize how bad postpartum depression was I knew it was a thing but it's never talked about. Like nobody talks about it. They just say, hey, these are the symptoms of postpartum depression. Just let us know if you have them. That's literally all they say to you when you leave the hospital. <laughs> no. And so, it, and it, it's kind of sad, honestly, because I didn't realize how bad it was. And I didn't have postpartum depression where I like felt like hurting my child or anything like that. But I felt like I could have gotten up, left her room, left the house and never came back. And no one would have noticed. Like, I felt like I was probably a better mother out of her life than in her life. And it, it was a really hard concept for me to wrap my head around. And I think what other people don't realize, too, is that when you're depressed or when you're in that depression mode, you logically understand what's going on in your brain. Like, you're like, I know it's a chemical imbalance. I know there's this. I know there's that. And I can get the science behind it. But you can't physically or emotionally stop the reactions you're having. And I mean, I remember one time I dropped a plastic cup of water. And it was water <laughs> on a wood floor uh, in my house. And I mean, I probably sobbed for gosh, like an hour straight. <laughs> and my poor husband, I know, my poor husband's just like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> and it all kind of came to a head when there was a, a really bad night. Uh, my husband saved my life. And the next day, 
He says, you know, babe, I love you. And I don't want anything to happen to you. And I, and I don't know how to do this. So, like, I need you to go get help. Because if you don't go get help, I feel like I'm going to have to take you to the hospital. And, <laughs> and as scary as that was, I was so thankful for my husband to say that to me. Because I actually did reach out. And I got help. Of course, went through treatment. You know, I think I was on antidepressants for about six months, anti-anxiety meds for another three. And then, so now I don't, now I'm not on anything, but it is still like a constant battle. Like, I mean, I don't think people realize that depression never really goes away. You just learn how to cope with it better. Well, as you uh, have gone through all this, um, you know, went through everything last year with the pageant, um, is pageantry over for you? Do you see any future with it? Or are you pretty much going to pursue politics at this point? I think at this point I'm pretty much done with the pageantry. <laughs> um, I mean, I mean, don't, I mean, don't get me wrong. I always, I always enjoyed it. I always thought it was fun, and of course, getting to dress up. Every girl wants to be a princess, right? So, um, you know, getting to dress up and just be beautiful and, and, and like outrageously beautiful for a day. You know, it, it's always fun. Um, at the end of the day, though, I think that I, I don't think pageant pageantry is something I really want to continue doing. Um, so I think, yeah, I think I'll probably focus more on the political side of the spectrum now. Well, I wish you luck in that journey. I know that's a, a challenging one these days, but certainly one that uh, doesn't go without reward for doing it. So good luck to you. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jim. All right. So we've got our uh, speed round 10 qu- get to know you questions. Um, like I said at the beginning, okay. it's, it's just for fun. So just have fun with these. Are you ready? I'm perfect. Let's do it. <laughs> okay. Number one, do you like the smell of gasoline? No. <laughs> <laughs> number two, have you ever tasted soap? Yes. <laughs> number three, if you were given an all-expenses-paid trip to Cleveland, Ohio, would you take it? For sure. I love travel. Okay. Number four, do you currently own any stuffed animals? Yes. Number five, what's the maximum number of spritzes of perfume before it's too much? Uh, I'm going to say four. Four, okay. Number six, what's your favorite carnival food? Oh my gosh, fried cheesecake. (laughs) (laughs) Fried cheesecake? Yes. (laughs) That sounds heavy. Mm. All right, number seven. Number seven, most embarrassing store you might be seen shopping at? Dollar General, I guess. I don't know. I don't think it's embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> Number eight. What temperature do you like your thermostat at? 72. Number nine. What's the most interesting new thing that you've learned in the past month? Oh, gosh, I don't know. Take your time. Take I learned time. how to use Photoshop. I learned how to use Photoshop. That's what <laughs> Oh, wow. Okay. Number 10. If a movie was made about your life, which is quite possible, to be honest, who would play you? Mm. Um, I want to say the girl from 10 Things I Hate About You. What's her name? That's a great question. I kind of quite honestly that, haven't that, seen it. it, was, it but it would be her. It would be her, though. <laughs> okay. I'll have to look her up. I don't know who that is, but okay. Very good. All I, right, don't even, I don't remember her name. That's okay. That's the 10 questions. You're off the hook. Great job. <laughs> Well, hey, uh, you know, look, you uh, have inspired a lot of people just how you have handled the situation that's occurred in the last year and just kind of going through it and certainly being public uh, on a national basis about it. And I know a lot of girls have uh, asked me to have you on to kind of hear your side of the story. So I appreciate you sharing it today. Uh, It's been really interesting. Thank you. Yeah, I I really appreciate the opportunity too. Well, good luck to you and uh, thanks for coming on. All right. Thank you so much, Tim. Thanks for listening to today's episode, everybody, and to Katie Williams for her time. Now, if you want to follow Katie on social media, you can check out her Instagram. It's at Real Katie Williams. 
or her Twitter is at RealKatieJoe, and Joe is spelled J-O-W. And her website, of course, as we mentioned during the podcast, is katiewilliamsnv.com. Thanks for tuning in, everybody, and do me a favor, subscribe to the podcast. You can do so on Spotify, iTunes, the podcast app, YouTube, Google Play, or you can just go to lifeafterthecrown.com. And for weekly podcast updates, just follow me on Instagram, at Tim Tialdo. Until next time, remember the words of 1 Peter 5.10. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Talk to you next week, everybody. Music